Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Parent University. My name's Jeff Summers. I'm the high school pastor here at Watershed, and um, I appreciate you all being here early in the morning. As I always say, if we keep coming, we'll keep getting donuts. So it works out, and whatever bribe we need to get you here, we'll do it. Um, We're going to venture a little bit different today than we have been going over the last year, and... um, one of the things, we're not, we don't have a media moment this morning, and I know that's part of my favorite thing to do, but uh, I just didn't have anything this month that really, you know, just captured my attention in a way that, that I was going to bring up. Again, if you have any suggestions for Parent You, either the media things, if you see a trend or you're curious about something, feel free to email me, and I would love to talk about that. Um, but also for just subject matter for Parent You in general, if you have something. Uh, this particular week, we're talking about, uh, I wanted to call it Married with Children, right? You guys remember that old sitcom? Uh, because uh, I was talking with a group of moms about a month ago, and actually somebody said, hey, we need to talk about us, <laughs> about staying married, because often our teenagers are a huge source of conflict uh, between husband and wife in the home. And I said, well, sure, let's talk about it. So we are going to jump into that today. And again, uh, just so you have context of where I'm coming from, always I want to bring Scripture to bear on anything that we discuss in here because my authority is very limited, right? My experience is even limited. I, I have four kids. My oldest is a freshman in high school. So I'm in that teen world surfing around with you guys, but I don't claim to have all of the truth in this area or in any of these areas. I've talked to some some parents of kids who have kids all in college, you know, as I was getting ready for this to kind of get their insight on some things. And then I also, every time I come to Parent You, one of the things that I'm doing is taking all the years that I've been doing youth ministry and interacting with parents and kids, and I kind of try to bring that to bear, things that I've seen in different families throughout, throughout the years. And that always helps me as well as we navigate this. Um, I have a theory about why it is difficult, uh, hard on parents and on a marriage when you have teenagers. And part of this theory is like this. Uh, I don't know anyone who is getting ready to have their first child that feels prepared. In fact, every time I interact with a friend of mine who's a young uh, a person who's getting ready to have their first child, we sit down and I talk to them and And hey, are you ready for this? Do you feel equipped as a parent? And no one does. They always feel a little bit terrified about what's getting ready to happen. And I think that's normal. I don't think there's a way you can feel ready to have kids. Now, I don't know about you. When I didn't know what to do, Cammie and I, uh, my wife and I, we really investigated things. We got into, we, we got books, right? What to expect when you're expecting. They've even made that into a movie now, right? We got, we were reading everything. We were talking to people who had kids and and trying to get equipped because we were pretty much terrified about having children. And I think that what can happen to us as parents is we, we do that, we investigate, we read all kinds of stuff, we have kids, and then we learn, right? You're constantly learning, and, and it's hard at first, and it's physically exhausting, 
and then you kind of get your arms around that, though. You have two or three kids, and you are kind of cruising through the elementary years, and a lot of it is about the kids are thinking very concretely, so a lot of it's about control, right? You're controlling the environment. You are... Uh, you control who their friends are. I mean, they never interact with somebody really that you don't normally. In fact, if, they can, if they're interacting with people you don't know, it's creepy, right? <laughs> don't talk to strangers, you know, kind of thing. Otherwise, we have our arm, we get our arms around it and we get it all figured out. And we feel pretty good about our parenting style and our parenting skill and our kids are doing pretty good. And there's not a lot of problems they're getting into at uh, seven, eight years old. Generally, they're not drug addicts or things like that. And it's pretty easy to get a handle on a lot of this stuff. Well, what I think happens is we get lulled into this sense of, of, I got this whole thing figured out. And then what happens is when our kids hit seventh, somewhere between sixth and eighth grade, it's like the rule book just got thrown completely out the window. And everything that we had a handle on, and we were feeling pretty good about our parenting style, and I got this thing figured out. And suddenly, everything just goes crazy. And this never became uh, realer to me than uh, when I was, I'd been a youth pastor for about 10 years and I was at a church in Charlotte and I had a mom who fit this, this uh, whole scenario perfectly. She was, uh, they were a homeschool family and the, their oldest daughter, it's usually the oldest one, just for you to know, for a youth pastor, if it's someone's oldest child, that's always the ones, the parents and the kids that is always fun for me because they don't really understand the teen thing yet. It's kind of this forging into a new area. So it's their oldest daughter, and they control everything about her life, and everything's going fine, and she's trucking along, and so they decide to let her start coming to youth group. Well, she comes to my office about two or three months into this, uh, into the school year, and says, you know, I think I'm pulling her out. I'm not going to let her come to youth group anymore. She is, and started telling me all the different ways that she was acting out. And in her mind, that made perfect sense, because if, I'm, if nothing else has changed, everything about her life was the same, and now suddenly their daughter was acting out and being emotional and, and talking back and doing all these things that she had never done before. And I said, and she determined the only thing that has changed is I've started allowing her to go to youth group. And I said, probably youth group is not the problem. The problem is you have a seventh grade daughter. <laughs> she... It's not that your seventh grade daughter has started to come to something. It's that you have a seventh grade daughter. Everything changes. Uh, she's starting to change. And everything, and, and everything in her life is changing. And, and the rules just started to change for her. And, and it wasn't her environment. It was her. And that's a normal thing. That's a normal thing that kids go through. Uh, the things that we're going to talk about today... And these are, these are not every problem that you might be dealing with in your uh, marriage or in, in your family, but we're going to hit a few things that I think I've seen just, again, through experience uh, and, and things that Scripture also speaks to. Um, one is going to be the, the primary relationship between husband and wife, that that relationship has to be primary. Two, we're going to talk about how uh, having teenagers is emotionally draining, that we are tired and exhausted Three, we're going to talk about how one spouse can be either hyper-engaged or disengaged. And four, we're going to discuss hormones. Okay, those are the different areas that we're going to talk about today as we kind of run through this. Um, let's start with this whole idea of the husband and wife and that relationship being primary. 
Uh, at our house, we have family nights every once in a while, and we, one of the things that we like to do is, you know, sometimes we'll watch movies and stuff, but we like to turn the TV off and engage with each other as much as we can, and we do this often through board games, and we have a game that we enjoy called Cosmic Encounters. It's a game that was like, like years ago, but you might know a game like that at, at, for, as Risk. Many of you guys are familiar with that game. It's a fun game that a lot of dads and sons play. And it's kind of a con- conquer the world kind of game. And if you've ever played Risk or you've ever played a war, a war game like that, what happens is everyone has their little territories and when you want to take something over, you kind of make these allies with different people that you're playing with. And sometimes those are temporary allies because right after you conquer one person, then you turn and you turn on your ally, right, and take them out. And often in the, in the home, this kind of situation can develop if the husband and wife's relationship is not the primary key core relationship. Our kids... Uh, are at that time period in their life when they are probably the most self-centered and the most selfish that they're ever going to be. The world revolves around them. And uh, as Donald Miller said, he's he's one of my favorite authors, he said that, you know, all of the world is a movie and I know it's all about me. I'm the star because I'm in every scene. Right? That's the way, that's the way it can be. Uh, It's easy to be selfish and feel like it's all about me. It's all about me. And um, so when your child is that they're most self-centered and, and self-focused because, and it's for positive and negative self-focused, right, that they have on themselves. If they, wanna, if they have an agenda or they want to accomplish something and they see a crack in uh, the mom and dad's relationship and dad is, is leaning towards letting them do what they want and mom is against it, what's going to happen? They're going to go right for the, like a crowbar. They're going to insert themselves into that relationship and join with dad or join with mom. And, uh, and then you've created division and you create temporary allies in the home. And that can easily happen if the husband and wife is not the primary relationship. Uh, Lorraine Ray describes it as this uh, in her home growing up, and she's got four kids in college now. And she said it was like, it's like sharks with blood in the water. If mom and dad are not agreeing or are fighting, then it's easy for the child to sniff out what's going on. And and leverage that, okay, in, in the home. Um, one of the things we always talk about in here is that the goal of parenting is to create independent children, right? You want to work yourself out of a job. You want your kids to be independent, completely uh, walking with the Lord, who have a, a Christian world and life view, and uh, you know, attending church, being uh, active in their faith, in the kingdom of God, that's our, that's our ultimate goal is to work ourselves out of a job, right? Well, think about what is your marital goal, though. If, if your goal with the kids is to work yourself out of a job, and we're focused on that, the marital goal is, especially with modern technology and the way that the health care systems are and things like that these days, you and I are probably going to live with our spouse for 20 years after the kids leave the home. We have to make sure that that relationship is intact. We have to make sure that when they leave, we look at our spouse and and are like, wow, now that they're gone, we're really going to have fun. You know, this is going to be awesome for us uh, as a couple. And so we can't lose sight of that goal, too, because it's easy to focus so much on the kids that 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 relationship starts to take a back seat. And so... um, 
If that's our goal, I want us to look at Ephesians 5 and spend some time. I think this passage of Scripture is particularly informative on some of these issues about the marital relationship being primary in our lives. Um, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, I thought about starting this passage later on because it gets into more of the family stuff. But think about just that first sentence. If you add in the home at the end of that sentence, is that, does that describe your house? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in your home. Isn't that a beautiful picture that Scripture gives us? You know, is that what happened this morning getting ready for church? Was everybody just, did you just come down the stairs singing to your spouse and your children? It's time to go to church. Isn't this wonderful? Or were you like, get ready, get in the car? You know, that's the way, you know, uh, I think Satan loves Sunday mornings because uh, he, he can get in there and cause a lot of stress on Sunday morning. Um, verse 20, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I don't know, many of you have probably read marital books or heard a dozen sermons on marriage or have been to a marriage conference, and I'm sure you have touched on this passage before. And again, I'm trying to focus today not so much as this being a marital seminar or a discussion as much as I'm trying to focus more on how it affects your teens or the teen teenagers in the home and how that goes into marriage, because a lot of this we could get into uh, and rabbit trail. I mean, we could talk about a lot of this stuff for an hour, you know, each one of these points. So we're going to kind of just touch on some of these. Uh, the first one is, uh, as we come to verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, there's a mutual submission that we're called to do. And I'm going to use, again, this passage in context of the home uh, when it comes to this. Uh, I, in our family, and again, it, this may not be uh, how it is in your family, but in, in our family, one of the things that Cammie and I have discovered over the years is how we're wired differently and how we have different strengths and weaknesses. And um, Cammie, as always, she was an elementary school teacher in, uh, when we first got married and has worked with kids even long before, all through high school, she worked with, with little kids. Now, I, on the other hand, never worked with little kids. In fact, I never held a baby, or I never changed a baby's diaper until my oldest daughter was born. That's the first diaper I ever changed in my life. And I did that on purpose. I really thought, I'm going to be doing this for a while, so I don't ever want to change a diaper until I have to. 
And that's, I, I don't regret that decision because I've changed about a billion uh, now with four kids. So I, you know, that was the way that I was. And I, I, I'll have you know that with little kids, I think I always felt a little bit out of my element. But Cammie felt very comfortable. And that was an area where she was really strong in. And so uh, this whole mutual submission thing, I'm, I'm, I might be nuancing it, but I, I feel as if uh, in those areas, a lot of times with the little kids is how, what we were supposed to do and things like that. I, I submitted to her ideas and what she was, what she was saying and what she was thinking uh, because I just didn't feel, I felt like I was out of my depth uh, with that area. Um, now, the opposite is happening as our kids are getting older. I've been in the teen world forever, like since I was a teen. So because of that, as we're moving into the teenage world, she feels less, in, you know, less equipped as we move into this new phase of life. And, and so I am, am becoming kind of more of the expert, if you will, on this. And, and it also just fits my personality and things like that. You know, we talked earlier about how when they're little, it's more concrete and you have more control and things like that. You don't when they get into the teen years. And things are a lot more ambiguous. And I'm very comfortable with ambiguity. I hang out with 150 teenagers every Sunday night. And it's ambiguous all the time. Okay, so that is kind of a world that I swim in. Randy Pope talks about this issue. Uh, if you go through inquirers and membership, he uses this illustration, with it, which I think is, is beautiful when it comes to this whole idea of submission or mutual submission. And that is that, uh, and, which we're going to talk about as well, the husband, the wife is supposed to submit to the husband in everything. The buck has to stop somewhere. There needs to be someone who makes the final decisions in your home. Again, if your child thinks that mom can overrule dad, it's going to cause issues. They're just going to go back and forth, and they're going to they're divide, and again, work like that crowbar in there, dividing you. So as long as this is a biblical principle that we have, that dad is supposed to be the one who, you know, this is where it ends, and it's because dads, God holds you responsible for the spiritual temperature of your household. Whether you're right or wrong, you're the one he's going to hold to account for this. And, and, you know, he gives that responsibility to the dad. And so uh, Randy says in this regard that he, he, he is like a player coach when it comes to baseball or a player manager. And with Carol, he said lots of times when it was time to get up to bat, he would put her in to pinch hit for him because she had more skills and abilities in an area and her batting average was better, you know? When it came to decisions about little kids at home, Cammy was up to bat way more than me because I trusted her instincts more. And quite honestly, she was home all day. You know, I'd hate to come in. My kids hit me right when I hit the door asking me stuff and I don't know what's happened all during the day when I haven't been there and things like that. And so, you know, I'd always go to her and say, hey, what, what's going on here? And so I'd put her up to bat. And I think it's a beautiful picture of this mutual submission, but also, again, with Randy's illustration, shows that the primary thing that God has placed on men is to be the head and that, that, that there is a place where final decisions are made within the home. So this mutual uh, submission and then the, the wife submitting to your husband, wives in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Um, again, we don't, I don't want to go into make this all about submission, but it is something that will affect um, the way you interact with your teens at home. Uh, but the next section, okay, so after you talk about wives and, and how, how they're supposed to do that, well, let me, let me touch on before I, the whole issue of respect 
goes into that as well. Uh, now, it gets to that at the very bottom of the passage. You notice he says um, in verse 33, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So the submission is related to the respect, and that is a huge issue as we talk about husbands and wives and the primary relationship that a mutual respect has to be going back and forth between husbands and wives because your kids are taking their cues from how you treat each other. Every interaction that you have with each other is telling your children, this is how you, my daughter, are going to treat your husband. Or this is how you, my son, are going to treat your wife. They are learning from us through the good things and the bad in the way that we interact with each other how to interact with their spouse. If the two daughters, if the daughter and the mom get together and conspire against the dad and do stuff and say, we're going to do this and we're not going to tell dad and we're going to keep this from him, okay, for whatever reason, then how is she going to react when she's a mom? Is she going to keep things from the husband? Yes, she is. We're teaching our kids to lie to their spouse down the road. Okay? So they're taking their cues from us in regards to this. If the husband does not respect the wife and walks all over her and treats her poorly, first of all, the son is probably going to treat his mom very poorly. He's going to take those cues from the dad. So if mom, if you have a son who doesn't respect you and doesn't, you know, one thing you got to do is look at, look, how, are, how is your relationship with your husband? How is that modeling that situation within the home? Okay, that's a key issue. Uh, again, the buck has to stop with him because God holds him responsible for what's going to happen in there. And uh, that's, that's really done for protection of both husband and wife. So this also can lead even to an erosion. If, if the husband and wife don't have a mutual respect for each other, the kids are learning this, it can actually lead to an erosion of respect in all areas of their life. Like if your kids are having a problem with their teachers, if they're having problems respecting any different authorities that, that are placed in their life, again, you can look back and say, are they getting these cues from us? Are they getting these cues from their parents? All right, um, let's look at the next section in there. Starting in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loved his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Um, when you look at both that passage and verse 31, which says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I, the main thing that I want to point out here, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can go. Uh, the husband is called to give up himself for his wife. I think men are inherently selfish. We will go play golf and go fishing every weekend and play video games and watch football. And we will do anything we can. We don't have that natural nurture thing that the women have going on, just in the way we're hardwired. And so God calls men to do the thing that's the hardest for them, which is to give themselves up for their family and for their wife. And it's a difficult thing to do, but God is calling us to do that. And what I want to point out about this passage, you can go to Genesis 3, which he quotes in here, which is saying the husband 
and the wife should leave their parents and be joined together, is there is nothing else in Scripture that talks about a relationship in this way. And that's why I'm saying this is such an important thing as this being the primary relationship. Does it ever say in Scripture that the wife is supposed to leave her husband and cling to the oldest son? Or that the wife is supposed to take the daughter's you know, to protect the daughter from the dad and, and the wife and the daughter are supposed to be together and, and that takes primacy over the... No, every other relationship is secondary. In fact, when you talk about children and parents, almost the only ever thing it really ever talks about with kids is obey, right? <laughs> and parents don't exasperate them. And, but other than that, kids obey. It, this whole clinging thing. In fact, you see examples in Scripture of when that's not the primary relationship over and over again. It's a disaster, right? You go back uh, and look at the patriarchs. Talk about a mess. I mean, not any of them, their families, would you, would you want to go back and go, I want a family like that. Let's see, Abraham, what a great family. Uh, he sleeps with the handmaiden, sends his child off into the desert, um, Man, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Isaac, okay, had Jacob and Esau. Now, how did that work? Like, that's a great one to get into. Jacob and Esau. Did mom take one child over the other? Yeah, right? Mom, Jacob was her boy, and that was it. What about dad? What did he do? Esau. Do you think the couple was the primary relationship? If it was, why did she help her son deceive the dad you know, to get the blessing. I mean, over and over again, you see within that relationship, and it didn't work out too well, right? One son runs off uh, for fear of his life, and the other son is a, a God-hater, basically. And then later on, uh, when Jacob finally comes home, he's worried that Esau's going to kill him and all of his family after being away for 20 years. I mean, that, that wasn't a very healthy environment, not one that we necessarily want to model our homes after. And so this whole idea of the primacy of the husband and wife relationship has to be this. I mean, so many issues stem from this. And again, the reason that I see this is I, I get a phone call um, just this year. I got a phone call from a mom and just all these issues that she's telling me about her daughter and things that are going on and on and on. And as I'm talking to her, then she's like, I'm saying, well, where is your husband in this? Oh, well, he's completely on her side. And he's not going to do anything about it. And he's not, you know, and she's, and they're like this. Mom and dad are completely at opposite ends. And the daughter and the dad have said, we're, we're on a team lying against the mom. And it's just, wow, it's just a mess when that is allowed to happen in the home. So ultimately, um, you have to have a united front. Uh, a united front needs to happen within the home. Mom and dad, if you disagree, and you're going to, you're going to disagree about all kinds of things, uh, just not only just in marriage, but especially concerning your kids. And when you disagree, though, I am going to encourage you, I would not let that play out in front of your kids, because that is, again, that they, the, the blood is in the water, and they're going to circle around and figure out how to leverage that disagreement. And so uh, even if Cammie and I disagree about something, we, we try to talk about it uh, alone, and then when we're together, it's the united front. And, uh, and we start that, even, of course, when our kids are little. You know, if, if, if someone asks me for a piece of cake and I say no, they, and they run to mom, they're in trouble, okay, because it's already been no. And she's like, what did your dad say? And it's, it's no cake, if that's what it is. 
Um, and my natural tendency is to be like, of course, cake. Come on, cake is awesome. Uh, and that's just who I am. I'm more the, I am more the, why, why say no when you can say yes? Okay, that's my modus operandi. And Cammy is more the, why say yes when you can say no? And so we're completely opposite in the way that we handle things. But just over the years, I've learned that probably the answer should be no if they've talked to their mom first at all until I talk to mom. And our kids know that they can appeal to me, like if she says no on something you know, more significant, not cake or something like that, but on something bigger, they can appeal to me because they also know that the buck stops with me. And so I have veto power okay, over that, right or wrong. Again, I'm not making this up. This is in Scripture as I uh, see it. So it's, it's now I, I'm not saying this, though. One thing is you also need to show healthy conflict resolution, though, in the home. You can't never disagree at home because I don't think that's the real world, and that's not good for your kids to see either. Uh, I grew up in a situation like that. My parents were uh, great at the United Front thing. In fact, I left home at 18 thinking my parents are the most happily married, wonderful people in the world because they never disagree. And it's because they always did the United Front and would and then fight in the bedroom. And I didn't even know about it. So I never saw conflict resolved at home. I had to learn that almost entirely on my own uh, with regards to uh, a romantic, you know, a marital relationship. So that was kind of bizarre for me. When I, got, when I moved, I actually re-entered into their home later in life and then, and then with our relationship now, and I found out there was all kinds of conflict going on. They just weren't, they were, they, their relationship wasn't as healthy as I thought it was, and it was because they just hit it. So <laughs> figuring out how to do that and, uh, and resolving conflict in a way that, that honors God uh, is something else. Um, all right, uh, the next thing, moving on, is... Uh, you're just tired, aren't you? I don't know about you. I'm exhausted, okay? So if I'm exhausted, I'm thinking you probably are too. And we just, let's just call it what it is, right? Having teenagers is exhausting. And I, across the board, I will say this. I have talked to so many parents of teens, and they will tell me the same thing, that uh, it is more exhausting to have teenagers than it is to have little kids. And you would think it would be the other way around. But I think little kids are physically exhausting in a lot of ways, but teenagers are emotionally exhausting. They are emotionally exhausting. And um, it is something that really can drain us. Uh, logistically, it's exhausting. Right now, we have three carpools. Um, we have one in high school, two at perimeter, but one's a half day at perimeter. And so now, I mean, there's a, there's a carpool at noon, a carpool at 2, a carpool at 6.30, a carpool at 8, a carpool at 3. And that's just to get my kids to school and back. I mean, it's pretty crazy. So that doesn't even count drama and sports and all the other things that factor into it. And you can spend all your time just running around, and managing your household is exhausting. But this is the thing that we have to be careful about. Going back to the marital relationship is managing life leads to managing your marriage. Okay, let me say that again. Managing life leads to managing your marriage. If you and I are not careful, when we sit down with our spouse and we have 30 minutes in the day to talk, what do we talk about? Carpool, who's picking up, who's running by the grocery, 
what are we doing about dinner tonight? Can so-and-so spend the night? Who's going to do practice this, you know, right? I mean, it becomes a, log- a calendar meeting or a logistical conversation. And 20 years of logistical conversations is not good for marriage. It is super easy to fall into this pattern. We've talked about this with our kids, right? All the time, I'm telling you, don't manage your kid's life. You have to engage with them because it's easy to do that with your kids too, that the only thing you talk about is homework and schedules and math and things like that. But if we're not careful, that whole thing will flip right back on us. We have to not only engage with our kids, we have to engage with our spouse, okay? We have to engage and talk about things that are real and that are true and that are deep and that are important and not just things that get us through the day, okay? Uh, And that is a a very huge danger that we all have. God is going to use our teens to magnify uh, and in our sanctification process. Again, they are at their uh, most selfish time in their life, and it's going to weed its way in and hit all of our own insecurities. It's going to hit the things that we need to work on. It's going to hit my own selfish desires and natures and expose all of that. Okay, when I got married, I didn't realize how sinful I was till I got married, and then I realized how selfish I am, and I have to die to myself, right, as you get used to living with another person and thinking about their needs. Then when you have kids, you have to die to yourself like 10 times more, and now you've got teenagers, and it's just going to keep on, and you're just thinking, okay, God, when are you going to let up on this? Um, so we're tired. Uh, Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I think that is a great scripture to memorize when you have teenagers. Hey, if I keep investing here, if I don't grow weary, if I keep doing good and investing, it will reap a harvest if I do not give up. Uh, The next major area uh, that I want to talk about is that I see often is, uh, or I see occasionally, is that one spouse is disengaged or one spouse is hyper-engaged. Okay, so, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. Um, if, if one person, one spouse is never at home, now this can happen a lot of different ways. Uh, and it happens, I think here, we have a lot of dads who travel or maybe mom travels and they travel a lot with their job. And that, that's a part of it, but that can certainly exasperate this problem. Um, but what can happen over time is a, a whole relationship that is where one spouse thinks that raising the kids is the other's idea or the other's problem, okay? Um, where one spouse comes and says, hey, you know, those, those are your, you know, you're, you're the one at home, you're the one raising the kids, and dad can check out. I mean, I often see it with dads. Um, I'm not saying I've never seen it with a mom, but where uh, it's easy to check out. Again, if for a guy to check out is an easy thing if, uh, if it hits our sin nature and it's something that we can do. Um, but this can... What this does is it creates a situation where you've got a single parent in the home. Uh, even though the dad or the mom is around, one parent feels like they're all alone doing this whole parenting thing. And that can just be pretty tough uh, to, do, to deal with uh, when one parent is completely disengaged. Um, interesting, though, on how this can develop, I think some of the reason this develops is because of hyper-engagement by another parent. Uh, if Remember I told you I told that Cammie was much better with the kids when they were little. 
one of the ways I could have handled that, and I think this is how this develops often, is a dad might, if the mom's like, I got it, I got this under control, a dad might be like, okay, well, you got it. Uh, and, and sometimes one spouse can make it so that the other spouse can't do anything right. Okay? Well, you didn't do that right. You didn't, you didn't change the diaper right. You didn't do these things right. And then what can happen over and over again is if one spouse is hyper-engaged with the kids, the other spouse kind of backs up and says, okay, I won't be involved. Okay, you got it. All right, I'll let you handle that. And then what happens eventually is they're just not doing anything. And they're not engaged at all in that process anymore. And then now you get to the teenage years, and mom's kind of felt, I got this whole thing under control. And dad's already completely checked out because he doesn't need to or he doesn't do it right, and he's not engaged anymore. And now mom's like, hey, everything's changed, and I need you to engage here. And dad's like, wait a second, I thought you had this. I thought you... And he's already used to filling that time with other things. And that's not something that he wants to engage in anymore. He doesn't want to enter back into that. Okay, now it could be the other way around. I'm just using mom and dad for the sake of illustration. But hyper-engagement is also not a good thing. If, if one parent's life revolves around the children, uh, that can, can push the other spouse away or out of that situation. And uh, that's not healthy either if we don't have healthy boundaries uh, when it comes to that. Uh, it has to be okay for you and your spouse to do things differently. And that's tough, especially if one of you is a... Is a you can see this in a control freak thing or in a, a, some people are just super structured and it's got to be this way, okay? Um, uh, just a silly illustration of this is uh, I do not load the dishwasher the way my wife likes it, you know? I, mean, I know this isn't, it's not a parenting thing, but if she ever wants me to load the dishwasher, it has to be okay that I do it differently than her. <laughs> see? Yeah, like that, that is like her love language. If I'm doing the dishes, that is like, wow, you know, uh, more than almost anything else. Uh, so if, but, but it has to be okay. And it comes to that in parenting as well. You, you are going to parent differently, and it has to be okay that you're going to do things differently than your spouse. You're going to handle a situation differently. And it doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. And so uh, making sure that we have good communication with each other is going to be key to that. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, and we're going to constantly hit this passage forever in this, in this parent you, but teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Over and over again, we talk about this passage. When are we supposed to instruct our kids? All the time. When you get up, when you lie down, when you walk along the road, when you sit at home. That just means all the time we're supposed to be instructing our kids. So one parent cannot disengage. Both parents have to be involved in, the, in this relationship and have to enter into that together. Um, now, when it, this is never goes perfectly, and sometimes you're tired and you're not going to engage perfectly. Again, we talk about that. There's grace. Sometimes you're just going to blow it. It's a, it. Let's go for the consistent batting average, though, right? Track record that, uh, that most of the time we engage uh, in a way that's appropriate. Um, one thing is God made each of you very different, and we, we're going to go back to that here, because if one spouse is disengaged, together God has given you that spouse as a perfect gift to raise your kids, and the husband and the wife present the image of God together. When one of you is, is doing the thing on your own, your, your kids are missing out on, on some part of seeing an expression of who God is, just in the way God created men and women differently. 
okay? And so if they want to see the, pool, the full picture of who God is, they need both spouses engaged in order to interact with that. Um, and the, how, how you deal with that, um, Cammie is much more structured than me, like I said, and I'm much more fine with things being very ambiguous. And even our schedules are that way. Like, my schedule is just totally crazy, and it changes every week. And that doesn't, it doesn't work well for her uh, the way that, that I am in that way. But actually, as we move into the teen years, their schedules are very ambiguous, right? They come home from school and say, hey, oh, by the way, so-and-so's coming over tomorrow. Or, hey, I have this meeting after school today. Or, um, oh, I didn't tell you, but drama clubs is today, and, and I need to stay two hours late. And that throws off carpool for the whole day. It throws off plans for the whole day. And they'll just drop that stuff on us. Oh, I've got a project that's due tomorrow. Well, when did you know about this project? Four years ago. You know, and they, they know, they know, they've known forever that this project is due, right? And, they, and but they're going to spring it on you the night before. Um, and that's the way that they are. And so different strengths and weaknesses and knowing what those are, um, that is helpful. Uh, Cammie's also an introvert, and I'm an extrovert. It's helpful to know how you're wired. If, because she's an introvert, there are days when I get home and she just needs to retreat for a little while, and I need to engage. And I'm an extrovert, so I've, even though I've been with people all day, I can come home and I can, I can stay up and engage with the kids, and she might need to go read a book or go in her office and, and study or do some work or something like that. And, and so knowing how you're wired can be helpful here in how you parent so that you are a team. And so leverage your strengths and weaknesses when it comes to this whole parenting situation. Um, it exa- Again, one of the things that's hard for us, and it goes back not only to the way she's structured and I'm unstructured and the way that we're tired, is this whole issue of the kids are always around. Okay, have you noticed that? Um, when I, when we, one of the ways we've always managed uh, or been able to as a couple, find our time together, and this is just us, is we hang out together at night after the kids go to bed. From nine to midnight is like our time, and it has been for 20 years. Well, now that I have a teenager that stays up till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, that time is shot, because my teenager wants to be right in the middle of everything, because my oldest is as much of an extrovert as I am, and she just pretty much thinks being alone is about awful. So she never wants to be alone, and she wants us to be together all the time. Well, we're trying to navigate that whole thing now. I mean, that's just a whole new realm for us. There's no special mom and dad time at night. And for my introverted wife who wants to just focus on me and have me pour into her and vice versa, and that's how we get what we need from each other, that time is is being squeezed out. And so we've got to develop ways to change that and ways to interact with that situation. Um, lastly, as if it's like a fine marinade that goes over all of the things that we've already talked about, we have hormones to throw into the mix of things, okay? And I think the hormones that teenagers are going through is like just throwing gas on a fire. Um, it, it, your normally sweet, docile child can completely change into several different people in one day, right? You can have laughter and singing, and tears, and anger, and slam doors, and snuggling, all within the course of, of one 12-hour period with your child. 
when they're a teenager, and that is normal. Uh, I remember uh, when Tears of first started hitting like seventh grade, and I would come home, and something that normally would not be a big deal at all, suddenly she's undone and crying and just inconsolable. And dads, we're fixers, right? I mean, again, part of our hardwire is, okay, well, there's a problem. I'm going to fix it. You know, I'm, I'm ready to come in, and what is the solution here? What's going on? How can we fix it? You can't fix that. Her eyes are full, and she just needs to cry. And moms have to really help when this kind of thing is going on. And boys get moody and surly and pensive. And uh, when, they're, when their hormones are going crazy and they, you know, they're hard to deal with and they're grumpy or they lash out and they, you know, they kind of handle their hormones in a different way. But it, it's still there and they're raging. And sometimes it makes zero sense. Uh, there's no way that we can just fix that. Unfortunately, as if it's got to be a product of the fall, God has designed it so that we as parents are going through hormone changes at the same time, right? Uh, Often moms are going through menopause when their teenagers are going through all this. Dads are going through, you know, midlife crisis. Again, there's some research that says that has is related to hormones changes in men. I don't know if that's true or not, but often dads, even just the stress at work, dads are usually at the point where they're at the highest level of their career. They have the most responsibility uh, at work, and so they have the highest stress and pressure on them outside the home. Moms are going through all these changes. They have the highest stress, stress and pressure inside the home, and the kids are going through all the hormone changes. It's a miracle any of us even survive the teen years when you start just talking about that, okay? So that's a whole other factor that we have to consider. And sometimes, again, there's nothing. You just have to ride the wave. You have to ride the wave uh, of how that's happening. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, one thing about that, the question is how, how do we handle a hormone swing but when it can lead to sin, basically, is what you're saying. I mean, in this case, we're talking about respect. But the hormones, I mean, for one thing, I would say hormones or any reason, we all know it doesn't give us a license to sin, okay? Whether we're, I've had a bad day at the office. I mean, I can put it on me, right? I don't even have to use hormones. I can say I've had a really stressful day at work. That doesn't give me the right to come home and yell and be a big ogre at my kids and my wife, right? Okay, well, hormones are no excuse, you know, in the opposite direction, whether it's Hormones that we're experiencing or mom's experiencing uh, or our daughter or our son, right? So that, it's not very an excuse. Now, there's wisdom, though, in how to apply that. Uh, again, from the Rays, we got, or no, I think it was from Carol Pope, don't respond to feelings. I mean, I'm sorry, respond to feelings with feelings and fact with fact. Okay, I think that's a really cool rule of thumb. Respond to feelings with feelings. Sometimes your child might be yelling or, you know, they're, they're hurt or th- something like that. And again, we want to kind of get in under the hood and fix the problem when really they just need us to empathize with what's happening in their life. Okay, so when they're asking a fact question, we respond with fact. When they're asking, when they're talking and expressing feelings, we respond with feelings. Okay, now escalating that, one of the things that with your particular thing that you brought up that I think needs to be addressed for dads especially or moms is for us as parents, respect can be an idol. I'm not saying that it is for you. I'm saying we just need to be, we need to ask ourselves that question. Is that one factor, you know, so 
important in every situation that you know all discussion stops because that can stop a discussion. Uh, often, when I'm engaged with a child who is being disrespectful or in whatever reason is saying hurtful things or whatever, not responding to all of that at the time and waiting until a cool down period has happened, then I can come in, see, because, and they've done a lot of research on this, it's pretty fascinating. When you are angry, did you know that you, you use the top of your brain is where your emotion center is? When you are calm, the front of your brain is where your logic works, okay? And this addresses what Carol Pope said about feelings with feelings and fact with fact. So when your child is super upset and they're operating out of a feelings mode up here, they're not, their logic is completely shut down. And so they might lash out, not thinking, wait a second, respect is something that is due here. They might lash out you know, in, in the way that they're reacting. Once things have calmed down, I think I can sit down with my child and say, by the way, the way that you address me now that, now that the situation, you're kind of over, you've ridden the wave, right? The way that you addressed me or the way that you talked to your mom was inappropriate. And I think you, need, you owe me an apology or you need to go and apologize to her. And now you can dialogue and they can think and go, oh yes, you're right, that, that was wrong. Okay, but in the moment, they might not get that. And in the moment, when we make that the main issue, it can escalate everything to where no communication is going to happen. Does that make sense? It can shut everything down. So sometimes in the heat of it, the best thing to do is deal with the feelings and deal with that. And once, once things have calmed down, then we can enter into that with more of a, um, you know, in a, much, in a way that they can hear and actually receive later on. Um, let me hit just practical things. I've covered a lot, and then I'll t- t- take questions. Um, practical steps to deal with all this stuff. Um, as far as your relationship being the primary relationship, and again, you can go to any marriage seminar and get a lot of this stuff. I'm not, it's not rocket science. I'm just reminding you what you already know is true in most cases. Uh, communication is the key with you as a couple. You've got to talk. You've got to engage with each other. And you've got to find ways to do that. Some suggestions. One is morning coffee time. Uh, this is something Cammy and I learned from a couple 20 years ago. Again, it was a husband and wife, and their, their child came up and started to interrupt them. And he said to his child, I'm sorry, mommy and dad are having morning coffee time right now. You have to go away, and you can come back in a, in a little bit. And we were like, I like that. That is something we're going to do. And we still do that. And now our kids actually want to have morning coffee time with us at times, and they want to sit down and just talk. And it's a beautiful thing. But you need time to communicate with each other. That might be at night, late at night, like we did from 9 to midnight. It might be early in the morning. Maybe you're morning people. Uh, If one of you is a morning person and the other one's not, and that's the only time you can get together, one of you needs to learn that caffeine is a beautiful thing. Okay? And that's just the way it is. Uh, So you've got to figure that out. Or at night. Okay? At night, caffeine is a beautiful thing. But you've got to figure that out so the two of you have time to talk. Um, Dates. You need to have time where, and I think this is something that snuck up on us. Again, we had so much quality time together after the kids went to bed. That's not happening anymore. So dates are more important for us now because we have less connection time with each other now that the kids are always around. Okay, so it's more important for us, I think, to enter into dates now. But again, you have to commit to not talking about the kids or logistics on the date. You set some ground rules. When we're on the date, I want to know what's going on with you, what's going on in your heart, 
what's going on, uh, not kids and logistics, because you can do that with the kids around, or you can try to anyway. Um, make an oasis in your home. Some of you have uh, you know, a large bedroom or an office or something like that where you can, you need to have, create a space even at your house where you can get away uh, and have some quality time where you can talk. You, can, uh, you need to repent of taking sides with each other, uh, with kids. That may be something that you need to have a conversation about, of how you have allied with your children against one spouse or the other. And, and maybe if it's a pattern over multiple years or things, it's time to kind of have that discussion and see if you can repent of that. And last, of course, uh, a marriage or a family counselor. might You might have some significant issues that you need to unpack with a professional uh, who can walk you through a lot of these things. Um, as far as being emotionally draining, some practical things, and this is key for all this, is you have to have a daily connection with God. When your kids are just pulling it out of you and draining you emotionally, you have got to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit and got to connect with God on a regular basis. And the thing is, when logistically life gets crazy, it's, it takes the quiet time right out of it. And we don't want to spend any time with God because we're tired and, we, you know, and running around and, and you're getting kids ready for school. And, you know, but it's more important than ever to have that time at, at that time. Uh, the, one of the things we work at, we're doing a family cluster here at the church and we have this healthy person, healthy couple, Healthy, healthy parenting, missional family is kind of this whole stream. You know, if you are healthy personally, it's, you're more likely to have a healthy marriage. Um, when you have a healthy marriage, you're more likely to parent in a way that's healthy and makes sense. And then when that is healthy, your family can actually start not looking inward and dealing with your own problems, but actually look outward and figure out how to expand God's kingdom. That's our goal here, but it starts with you. So spending that time with God, uh, that quality time with God is key. Um, God is strongest through our weakness. Don't forget that. When you're tired and you're weak and your daughter or son wants to talk at 11 o'clock at night and you just you can barely stay awake, you have to say, Lord, please, this is the time I need your grace because they want to engage and I need to be there for them. And, and uh, when we're weak, that is when God is strongest. Be aware of your tendencies. Again, self-knowledge makes mutual submission easier when you're dealing with your spouse um, and and your strengths and weaknesses. Know if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Know if you're structured or unstructured. Know these things about yourself um, because that's going to help you in your parenting style to tag team with your spouse. Maybe you have to go to bed at nine o'clock, but your husband doesn't or vice versa. And your daughter or son is out late. And one of you, there's no reason for both of you to have to stay up. One of you can stay up. You need to tag team and use your strengths and weaknesses and be aware of what your spouse needs to engage. Uh, if one spouse is disengaged or one is hyper-engaged, uh, again, you need to confront each other on that issue and repent. I mean, that is, I don't have a really wonderful uh, thing about addressing that. Um, part of it is probably you've entered into a pattern that you need to just start talking about it and start re-engaging uh, when you've gone down that road. And again, counseling might be something if it's too uh, far down the road. When it comes to hormones, pray, pray, pray. That's pretty much. Exercise is, is good too, from what I understand. Exercise can really help manage that. Be aware. Uh, again, I think um, 
what we just talked about, being just aware of this, that hormones are a factor, can help you develop a thicker skin and not take everything to heart. When someone's, if, if you're getting this huge wave of emotion at you, it's really easy to get your feelings hurt and take it all to heart when sometimes we just need to say, you know what, I don't think this is real and uh, I need to develop a thick skin and how to deal with that. Uh, if you have a lot of kids, you'll probably get it figured out by about the time the last one goes to college. So just to encourage you. And um, lastly, which we already mentioned, respond to feelings with feelings and fact with fact can be a good rule of thumb when dealing with uh, emotions and hormones in that way. All right, it's five after. We've got about 10 minutes. If there's any questions about anything that we talked about. Yes. If you find yourself being a parent alone, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of single parents, obviously, at, at church and in, in our society and everywhere. Um, if you're parenting alone, it's really things like youth group, mentors, coaches, uh, people that can speak into your kid's life is going to be important to partner. Now, I think that's important no matter what. I think if you're a couple, having other people speak into your kid's life, statistics have even shown that that is a much greater chance of your child, you know, ending up walking with the Lord. Um, so that is huge. But I think finding those people, a D group leader or uh, uh, someone who's going to speak in and that, and then, you know, that's if you're a single dad or a single mom, you know, if you're, if I'm a single dad, I'm definitely going to try to get uh, women who could speak into my son or daughter's life and, and vice versa. And I just think that's key. Um, the The great thing about Worshiping a God who we know is in charge of all things, right? He's omnipotent. He's in control of all things. So if you are a single parent, that also means that God, that didn't sneak up on him. He knows that you're a single parent. And at least for a period of time, he has called you to that road. Um, and if that's the case, his grace is sufficient. And he will, uh, again, when we're weakest is when he's strongest. And so as we rely on him, as we turn to him for the solution, we have that beautiful passage, and it is so comforting to me all the time, no matter what I'm facing, in Matthew 6, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. And so if he's your number one, he will take care of your kids. He will take care, and his grace will be sufficient for you in that situation. Um, I believe that. I try to live it, but it is key and it is, it is vital. Yeah, yeah. That's, again, I'm not necessarily saying I'm, I'm the expert on all this stuff. Um, I, because Scripture doesn't say, you know, what do you do, you know, to take your kid's cell phone away. Um, but, but that, well, what the, the problem is when things escalate in the home, we, you want to answer that? I was just going to say, one of the things we do at our house is we talk a lot about how what you say is as important as what you what you're saying, what the words are, how you say it is as important as what you say. And lots of times I'll just say, okay, say that again and say it in a kinder way. Like what you're saying, imagine that you that I spoke to you the way you just took, spoke to your sibling. You know, what are you communicating besides what your words are saying? Yeah. And I think giving them those questions makes them turn their words back on them 
and then they realize more. I think when we're quick to go, you know, it, a few parent years ago, we talked a lot about taking away the periods and putting question marks. I think that's a really powerful one to ask them questions that are, where is your heart right now and how you're speaking to me? I know you're upset and I love you and I'm on your team, but where is your heart in how you're communicating with me? And I, I think that I have to then be willing to be, I mean, my daughter, in fact, I was complaining about something about hormones and she goes, mom, hormones are not an excuse for talking to me like that. <laughs> and so I, I had to take it right back in all honesty and say, you are absolutely right. Yeah. You know, that, and that's humbling. She wasn't saying it in a disrespectful way, but you know, and so I think we have to be real open and everybody kind of talking about it. I mean, we, we talk about it a lot of our Yeah, part of it too, though, is just not emotionally engaging yourself, which that's what's so hard. Yeah, because they know how to push your buttons more than anybody else does, and they, and they, they will say something that's going to cut you, and it, you're just, like if your pet peeve is respect, for example, they're going to hit that, and, and they know that, okay? I mean, they, again, they're, they're pretty pretty sharp. So they're going to hit you right in the, in the weakness. Um, and part of that is manipulation. I mean, part of that can, they can feel superior if they, if they can make you blow your top. And so there's a lot of things going on there. So for us to not emotionally engage is important. And again, that's why I think that that step of, of dealing with emotion with emotion, you know, maybe it's a, you say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to just cool down here. Let's separate for a second. And you know, let's divide and conquer here. You know, again, that might be a, hey, you're just out of control right now. You need to go in there and just calm down. I'll come in there in a second and talk to you. You know, and again, balancing that with our own idols too, you know, is, is not easy. But I, I would just try not to engage in the heat of, of the emotion. Yes. Yep. Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp is a great book. Learning to tell yourself the truth. Okay. Uh, there is another... Uh, Another thing that you, you both made me think of, though, as you were talking is, is often what we're experiencing are symptoms of a deeper thing that's going on. And, and I would encourage you there to get, to get into that as well. Like sometimes when you're, especially if something minor happens and you're getting this response that is so out of whack with that, sometimes it has to do with hormones like we talked about, but sometimes there could be a much deeper thing going on there that needs to be explored. And so that is that whole issue is like getting to the heart instead of dealing with surface. And that takes a while to kind of figure out what what is happening here and, and how to, and again, you do draw that out by asking questions and finding out what is the deep need that is not being met here that's causing this kind of outburst. And that, that can be a very different, um, very different thing. Any other questions? All right. Well, thank you guys for coming. Uh, there is next week, next month, we are uh, going to be addressing school choice. And the, what I, I just want to give you a little teaser on that. Um, we're going to be talking about, we've got public school, private school, and homeschool, right? And all of us in this room are a lot of different options in that. And uh, I want you to know right up front, I believe in all of them. And I have uh, done all of them with my own kids. So I think they're all great options for your family. But what I want to talk about primarily is what are the strengths and weaknesses of the choice that you have made? Okay, because each one of those, as I interact with your kids, 
I see sometimes without the blinders that we have as parents. We tend to think, okay, this is a choice I've made, and we're so into why we've done what we're doing that we don't see the weaknesses of the choices. So I want to talk about if your kids are in public school, what should you be doing to make sure they're well-rounded uh, and, and growing? You know, at, If they're in private school, if they're in public school, it's all very different as to the strengths and weaknesses of the educational choice. And uh, I know we're, one of the reasons we're doing it in November is because a lot of you have to make choices for school as early as January or February. So I want to make sure that you kind of go into that um, thinking about all these things. All right? So that's what we'll talk about next month. Let me pray, and uh, we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you again for each one of these parents. Lord, it's such a privilege to have children. And uh, Lord, we need strong marriages, though. We need our, our relationship with our spouse to be primary. And, um, and we need to model that loving relationship for our kids. And we need to, uh, out of the strength and the health of that relationship, to be able to enter into um, parenting. And so, God, give us uh, the primacy of that relationship, that it would be true, that you would be in the midst of it, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to, uh, to engage our kids in a way that brings you honor and glory, that helps them to be independent um, citizens of the kingdom. And uh, uh, forgive us, Lord, because we fail all the time, and we need you. Without you, I don't know how anyone parents, period. And so uh, we praise you for, for loving us. And thank you for this church and for each other as well to help us in that endeavor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.